Welcome back to another episode of Trending in Education. Uh, just two of us here today, but still coming at you. Uh, I am with just Mike Palmer, not not just Mike Palmer, but uh, only Mike Palmer, the onlyest Mike Palmer. Mike Palmer, how are you? Mike Palmer's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Now, are you third person, Mike Palmer? Uh, Mike Palmer might Ricky Henderson this whole show. I like that. Are yeah. you the greatest ever? I am the greatest? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'll just be myself from here on out. That sounds good. Well, Mike, uh, good to be here with you. Uh, Dan is not able to join us for uh, this recording, but um, he is uh, in our thoughts uh, and he'll be back soon. Um, so uh, I, what, I was trying to remember, <laughs> what, what are we talking about in this episode? Oh, shoot. I remember it sounded like it was going to be really good. We were yeah. going we to talk about something that helps with learning. I just, I that... wish I had a device. I wish I had mm. a way hmm. to help me yeah. remember this. So uh, uh, I, will, I will drop the conceit. We oh. are talking about yeah. memory. Yes. Memory palaces. Yes. Mnemonics. Mm, mnemonics. I think just, uh, I'm going to just go right into mnemonics for one second. Please. I feel like... Of all the, like, you need a, a mnemonic yes. to remember how to spell mnemonic. Mm. I mean, I, I know how to spell that word, but sure. that's not an easy word to, to remember how to spell. Correct. There's not many words that begin with n. Right. N. Very few. Mm. I, I can't actually think of another off the top. Mm-mm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. Are you trying to say one? Mm-hmm. No. Um, but it yeah. is, it's curious that if like the word that means a device to use to help remember something right. or to, to code something yep. um, is itself hard to remember. I think that's, that's a little ironic, I, mnemonic. I, I do. I agree. Although it is interesting to think about it from the flip side too, where when something's tricky to encode, it's sometimes easier to remember too, because like it's more salient. Where I'm like, I've never seen "mn" at the beginning of a word before. That word is memorable now because that's my "mn" word. What about "menomena"? <laughs> menomena. That's I think the I other one. I was thinking "hymnal." That's in the middle. Yes. Right. You know correct. what I mean? And "hymna." Right. Uh, hymna. Right. Hymna yeah. and herna. Because yeah. it's not a, it's not a, a diphthong when you put two nouns together because the diphthong is when you put two vowels together so like the o in boat yes is a diphthong yes but this is uh something similar we'll do more research this is why when dan's on the show dan right now would be uh knocking out valuable knocking out a search behind the scenes but uh so we jumped right in but i think this came sort of out of our last episode or a recent episode where um you were taught you gave a, a book recommendation or a couple book recommendations yes um so I wonder if you, Mike, would just uh, frame up what the conversation, we talked about spelling yes. to start, but what's the, uh, the broader conversation for the show today? Uh, the broader conversation for this show is, uh, is, is sort of driven in part by the book Moonwalking with Einstein, which is a book by Joshua Furr, who, uh, that's F-O-E-R-R? F-O-E-R-R, I think is how it's spelled. Uh, and it's pronounced Furr. Uh, there's a uh, diphthong right there, there for you. There's a diphthong in there. It's not Furr. But, uh, but Josh wrote a book about, uh, he's, it was like an experiential journalism book. Uh, so that's where he was throwing himself into the experience and then writing about what it was like uh, to be uh, what's referred to as a mental athlete. So a mental athlete uh, is, uh, is a phenomenon, mental athletics um, has been around for many, many moons. I think we've talked in the past about uh, how I was a mathlete in high school, uh, which is a form of mental uh, athleticism. Uh, and, uh, 
the more contemporary sense of mental athletics is uh, trying to memorize decks of cards, uh, memorizing um, uh, long numbers, uh, you know, that basically giving, uh, giving these athletes novel stimuli, giving them a relatively short period of time to remember them, and then testing them on the accuracy of their ability to recall it. Um, really interesting, uh, you know, spoiler alert on that book, uh, you know, Josh uh, went in as a writer and then wound up, uh, you know, advancing to the U.S. memory championship um, by learning the tactics, uh, the memory tactics, uh, which are also known as mnemonics. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And, uh, and those mnemonics that he learned uh, included uh, an ancient one uh, known as the, the memory palace or the method of loci. Yeah. So I, in, in reading and preparing for this uh, episode, I, I learned that mental palaces are a lot older than I had previously thought. Like mm -hmm. I, I was familiar with that phrasing but i didn't realize they go way back they so go like all the, the way back to simonides of athens yeah the the greeks yes yeah yeah who was ha at a party or the story may be apocryphal but we're going to act as though it's uh, true Good greek word apocryphal so, thank you yeah. uh well thank the greeks uh, <laughs> but i remembered it uh so yeah so um simonides at a party hanging out 500 people uh, in athens kicking it with his friends uh decides he wants to get a little fresh air uh, so he steps outside, and lo and behold, right when he steps outside, the entire palace collapsed. So, uh, so everyone was having a party in there, and uh, suddenly they're all gone. And uh, interestingly, Simonides was able to recall everyone who was there, because at the time they didn't know who was in the room, who was killed. And then he was able to recall, based on uh, his recollection of where everyone was seated, who was actually there. So... Um, Again, possibly apocryphal, but uh, and, and definitely sad. D dark. It's real dark. Dark. The, the, the origin story for memory palaces. Yes. Uh, however, uh, there's there's definitely truth to uh, even if it is apocryphal, there's truth to this story in that our brains are particularly adept at remembering locations. This is the method of loci. Loci. Uh, so that's multiple locations are loci. So uh, locium. <laughs> <laughs> to loci but uh but yeah so so we're really good at understanding uh locations uh related point uh something i've talked about as a potential show topic which we haven't done is uh the knowledge which is this huge uh uh exam in uh, the uk to be certified as a london cabbie you have to pass the knowledge hmm. and uh actually uh, uh josh Fur talks about it in moon walking with einstein where the brains of cabbies actually uh, are different than the rest of us because they have this sort of encyclopedic knowledge of uh, the road uh, works of London and, and the London area. So like our brains are, are naturally uh, adept at this stuff. And then people who really focus on it um, get even more adept at it. And uh, so we shouldn't is, should we not be impressed with cab drivers? Because like our, our brains are sort of hardwired to be good at that with practice. Yes. I think it, it comes back to practice, you know, because yeah. you're talking about practice, man. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's like if you can motivate yourself, if you can have the grit, if you're gritty enough to, to flex your brain muscle, uh, disclaimer here, your brain is not actually a muscle. Right. 
But, uh, but if you're given enough metaphorically or, or, but, but it actually operates similarly. And the interesting thing about the, the brain research around, uh, the knowledge and the cabbies in, in the UK is that, um, practice actually changes your, the physiognomy, there you go, of your brain. So like by, by practicing and trying to understand the, this complexity around your map, it actually changes your, uh, your brain uh, physiology, the way it actually looks. Like you start having, like in your spatial zones, like you get these weird uh, extensions on your uh, cerebral cortex. It's, uh, it's apocryphal f- physiognomy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and who in of Athens? Uh, Simonides. It's all Greek to us here, it's, I think, today. So the, the memory palace in, um, just in short, and you can add to this, Please. Mike, but in short, uh, because we are so good, uh-huh. our brains are so good with locations, yes. with loci, yes. uh, a method is to um, sort of affix, uh, hook your, your memories, the things you want to remember yes. to a mental image and, and pretty in-depth, yes. three-dimensional mental image mm-hmm. of a physical place. And so you could, if you, you, know, if you want to do 10 things in a day, you mm-hmm. can you know, attach in your mind the first thing to, you know, the first thing that's in the room to your right. Correct. And then the next thing to the next thing. Yes. And, and so on. Yes. Um, and I think it, it probably helps to use a real place, like a place that you have been. Yes. Like to, to not imagine a mental palace. Yes. So for me, like a mental apartment, a memory, a memory apartment would right. actually be better than a memory palace. Right. Although you need a lot of places in there so it depends on how expansive like if you could zoom in on all the components all the draws you know like there's like there's lots of stuff that you can you can expand into probably in in a a memory apartment as well yes yes um is that the why the 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 palace so the palace comes from the name of this of this potentially apocryphal experience yes but it also is frequently you're trying to remember more more than say, you know, typically uh, the average uh, memory is, uh, you know, set the famously, uh, you know, working memory, short-term memory is seven plus or minus two. Yep. And then uh, some folks have, you know, arguably get up around nine or 10 if you have a good memory, but, but, but like our brains are only wired to, to hold on to so much information in our working memory. And that's also where chunking comes in too. So like you start grouping ideas or, or concepts together. So you think of them together. Uh, like an area code, for example, generally would take up just one slot in your working memory. So like there's some constraints there. And then memory palaces and other uh, mnemonics like them are designed to help you remember more than is typical. And, uh, and also, you know, there's a the difference between your short-term or working memory and then your long-term memory. So it's a way to kind of, those hooks are typically in your longer-term memory. And uh, you want a palace because you want to remember a lot of stuff. So like typically you want to have a lot of different rooms. And interestingly, uh, some of the mental athletes in Moonwalking with Einstein uh, were spending a lot of time on Zillow and, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, House Hunters International uh, just to expand their library of uh, physical locations. Uh, And then the other component that's really interesting is our brains are also highly adept at remembering uh, visual imagery. So the idea is like, I, th- I think it was something upwards of the, the typical uh, human can remember upwards of 10,000 visual images, like to know whether they've seen it or not before. So um, the idea is you, you come up with uh, something visual to place in your memory palace. 
And then the visual uh, concept, is, that's where even Moonwalking with Einstein is one of the mnemonics that he used. So like, you know, the visualization of Einstein moonwalking was vivid enough for him that he could associate that with something. And then he had moonwalking, you know, Einstein moonwalking in the living room of the house he grew up in, for example. And um, interestingly, like you can get amazingly good at this. Um, the utility of it is, is, is highly questionable uh, in this day and age. Yeah. I, that's one of my questions is this. Um, I mean, it is very, the, a lot of utils uh, awarded for um, party trick, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like just having a good memory makes you seem smart, I think right. also. Right. Um, but you say in this day and age because so much that isn't encoded from our working memory to our long-term memory is available for, you know, at your fingertip search, right? Yes. So we talked on previous episodes, like there was a time when you were a kid uh, as a baseball fan, you probably could have said who won all of the last World Series yes. for the last 10 years. Yep. You no longer remember those mm -hmm. kinds of things. But what's the utility of doing so? Because that's like I, you could find out by the end of the sentence who yeah. won you know, the, the World Series in 1986. Exactly. And it, it was the Mets. Right. Well, that's, I picked 1986 because that's the Mets year. But like, it's the last one I remember. Right. So 1980, like for example, or 1986. Right. Um, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, although I, it is... I wonder if um, just the fact that you can do this, that mm -hmm. one can do this, like that, that is uh, affirming, mm -hmm. right? That, that our brains are, uh, they're not muscles, they are, um, uh, to the point of physiognomy, like they, you can actually change yes. their, they, they are malleable, they are shapeable, quite we got, literally. We got a little, uh, a little what, uh, what's referred to as the neuroplasticity. Yeah, you right, know? yeah. Uh, but I think that that's, that's, that should be affirming for things beyond just what you would use for us uh, to, to compete as a mental athlete or beyond you know, what would be good for a parlor trick. Absolutely. And, uh, and the other interesting part to the history, uh, which, uh, which I didn't really understand until, until I, I read this book, so uh, you know, full, fully endorsing this book, it was a, and I, I read it through my ears. I, I listened to this book, and it was uh, well-read and engaging, not overly long, which are always things that I, I like in a in a in a book but but what was interesting was that they also got into the history of memory and how prior to gutenberg uh the ability to recall texts was extremely valuable uh if you think even in in uh you know this going all the way back to the the oral tradition but uh but even afterwards let's say like you know in uh the Anno Domini uh, in the Common Era, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there were libraries in the Middle Ages and in the early Renaissance before Gutenberg, but like, it's not like you would check the books out. Uh, it was like the Citadel in Game of Thrones, you know, like you would have to go there and you could only read the books while you were there. So a lot of why these tactics were so fundamental in those days is you had to maintain a copy of that book with you so you could refer back to what was in it afterwards. So that's why these tactics were, were much more widely known and much more directly relevant. And, and it does tie to, you know, we've been talking about the art of the skim and, uh, and how people don't read with their eyes as much as they used to. Uh, it is interesting that even, you know, eye reading uh, is generally tied uh, as sort of a widespread learning phenomenon to Gutenberg and the printing press and then the time since. It is interesting to think about how our brains are, are flexible, you know, plastic enough 
uh, although not literally plastic, uh, <laughs> to to adapt and uh, sort of understand this stuff. And uh, somewhere in the book, they're also talking about um, how many of these uh, mental athletes who talk about an eccentric bunch. Sure. I mean, these guys are, are, are mostly, mostly guys are, are out there. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know if I'd want to hang out with them necessarily, uh, although it'd be interesting. But like, They'd love to come to your place. But they were saying how they, they almost don't need other external stimuli because they can just bring up like the, the works of Keats or, uh, oh, you know, I was, I was thinking about Paradise Lost uh, the other day. I was bored, so I started to uh, recreate Paradise Lost in my mind and explore the text. And then the level of depth that they're exploring the text is like, is, is, is almost unfathomable, fathomable that too uh for 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 me because like for me like i have hard enough time just staying on it when the words are right in front mm-hmm. of me but like the fact that they can sort of go through this focused attention um it does rem- to your point about like you know uh how great a piece of work is is the human brain uh you know the idea that these that you can it, it reminds me of the deliberate practice idea where like when we focus our minds on things it's incredible what we can accomplish. Right. And then to think about how that could be uh, extended into other examples is what I'm really curious about. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's almost too much of a parlor trick to, to, yeah. to, to your previous point. Yeah, I, this is going to sound even to my own ears as my, mo- my own mouth is going to say it, um, like excuse, ma- excuse making for my laziness and not doing this. But right. right. Uh, yeah, there's something to be said, I, I imagine, for the fact that evolutionarily, we don't do this without those kind of mental structures in place. Like, mm-hmm. the, there is a um, non-cognitive relationship between working memory and long-term memory, mm-hmm. where although long-term memory is imperfect, the relationship between working memory and long-term memory has gotten us this far, Sure. right? So, like, it, it may be evolutionarily superior to not actually spend your time, spend one's timing, hard coding the, your, your working memory before it falls out right. into, you know, putting it on the armchair in your, this room in your memory palace right. and instead not doing that and doing something else with that processor capacity or, mm-hmm. or what. Now, maybe the thing that, that we've evolved to do instead is the thing that I'm doing when not doing that, which is, being leisurely right and so you know like because by the way the pursuit of leisure is definitely what got us here huge right huge so um uh i I think it's it's possible there is you know still within that argument uh, and uh an an answer that gets to sort of in the excuse making space but um if we had, had all always done this, I wonder if we could be doing this. Yeah, agreed. Uh, to me, what, what I find most profound about it is like, you know, the, the, the myth that like we only use 10% of our brains, uh, which, you know, generally speaking is a neural myth. Uh, you know, we, it's another good topic for a, a show is like, how much of our brains do we actually use? Yeah. And is it an average? Because uh, that, there's one where that's that, that we use less than 10% of our brains. Yeah is definitely one that people believe. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's true of many of us. Only those who use 10% of their Probably use less than 10. <laughs> but, but like what blows me away about stuff like this, you know, the whole notion of cognitive hacks and like memory hacks is that like, 
if you like, there's no user's manual that I'm aware of for the human brain, but the idea that we have these sort of on like these like Easter eggs in our brains that uh, can be unlocked, you know, even the, the, the sort of the, in some ways it ties to the power of visual language, which we were talking about on a mascot show. That's actually why I was referring to this is like, like, when you refer to like really rich visual language, it does trigger the imagination. It does open up parts of our brains that are not always active when we're listening to something or reading text on the page. And it is, you know, that does tie to the evolution of us too. Cause like we were not evolved to read books. We were evolved to be, uh, this is the, the other book I was referring to, uh, Sapiens by Yuval Harari, but like, we were evolved to uh, really be hunter-gatherers primarily, oh, all those bunch of other uh, tactics that also worked, but like, that's really like being open to what's out in front of you, exploring it, discerning what's good and what's not, having a way to codify, uh, eat this kind of berry, don't eat that kind of berry. They're all like visual cues that need to be logged somewhere and it's adaptive to be able to manage that complexity and uh, and then also be somewhat flexible and dynamic in your thinking um that's why i think those two books are a nice nice one-two punch uh although i don't know how many mnemonics are in uh sapiens well i wondered if we could we could do a little bit on some of our favorite mnemonics please so when I say mnemonics, Mike, yeah, I'll start because I'm 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 coming at you cold here. Yeah. But um, yeah. this yeah. was not a segment we've prepped. Yes, clearly, right. But like, there's probably at least one you can remember. Right. So I think the the mnemonic, my guess is one of the mnemonics that most people remember most. Uh-huh. PEMDAS. Yes. Please excuse my dear aunt Sally. Right. That's a way to remember the order of operations for. Uh, parentheses through subtraction. Correct. That's two different ways because you had two, you had PEMDAS, which, it, is, which is itself a, it's an acronym or yeah. it's a, um, an, I guess it is an acronym. An ac- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then the second we, was turning it into words that, correct. that were not the words themselves, right? So correct. They, they, like, so it's like, got a lot going on there. They all started with the correct letters. Yes. Like every good boy deserves fudge. Yes. Uh, which is the, the order of, uh, of musical notes on the traditional yes. uh, clef. <laughs> that's right. You got it. <laughs> I almost said cleft. Right. But no, I stopped. But you, yeah. I stopped. I uh, held off. That's yeah. right. It yeah. doesn't de- deserve fudge, Tommy. Yes. Um, right. So the, uh, I mean, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, there's other the other word ones like uh, in uh, I don't remember the order of this, but in the the Columbus sailing the ocean blue in 1492, yes. as an American uh, who was taught that Christopher Columbus was someone yes. to be celebrated with a holiday in October, yeah. um, which I'm not sure that that would uh, hold up uh, over time. And, uh, and, uh, and you're touching on of today. You're but, touching on the power of rhyme. The power of rhyme, right? Yeah, which is a big one. Yeah, music's another one. Yeah, uh, has hath uh, charms that soothe the, the savage breast. Yes, right, true. Uh, but it also helps us remember things, and that's where like Schoolhouse Rock, love me some Schoolhouse Rock, but I still remember the preamble to the Constitution because I can sing it. Yeah, and, and if you were to ask me to just recite it, I'd probably start singing it by the middle because I would forget what I was saying if I couldn't sing it. Oh, there's so. those, that state song, the one that Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, that goes, that one. Just keeps going. It's all 50 states, but to music. Right. And 
you know, there have been times, actually, yeah, this is not something I'm, I'm proud of, but, but uh, when being asked to recall yeah. all the 50 states, right. it's easiest actually in my mind still um, rather than to, to place them on a map to say, okay, so Maine, right. New Hampshire, Vermont, et cetera, right. is to sing this song that I learned when I was in third grade. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other uh, mnemonic that uh, we spent a little bit of time on, although it's a stretch to call it maybe the memory aid is uh, smells, mm, you know, yeah. where like, uh, you know, getting into the neurophysiology, uh, you know, like the, the olfactory bulb. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yes. It's right next to the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is uh, part of the, the old brain where all the majority of the memories are. And that's even where there's research about like, you know, you tickle different parts of people's uh, hippocampi. I believe that's the plural. Uh -huh. And, uh, and suddenly people, people remember stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, it's all, it's all about the brain. The really. thing you need to do is you're going to need to like remove part of their skull to do all this research sure. though. Like sure. that's, that, that part's um, dark yeah, and, also. And tickling, I, by the way, another disclaimer, we do not encourage anyone to, to yeah. liter literally tickle their own brains. It's, it's not plastic, it's not a muscle, and don't go tickling it. There are new CRISPR kits out there, but, <laughs> but, but don't tickle your own brain. Yeah. yeah. Only, only figuratively. Yeah. So I think if, um, I think we're probably coming up on, on time here for this, yes. uh, this show. If, if folks have, we'd love to hear what people's favorite mnemonics are, what, yes. uh, how they've decorated their memory palace. Is it the fall and your memory palace yes. um and uh anything else on this subject uh we'll try to remember to get back to you Please. uh we'll yes. have to hang that in ours but uh this is i think this is interesting stuff we, we like talking i'd say uh, like of uh, the things that trending in education likes to talk about yes trends sure. education yeah robots yeah. slash bots yeah the brain yes um uh entertainment yeah. Right. So like these, this is, this is, uh, in the sort of in the panoply yeah. of things we like to talk about is brain stuff. Yeah. And also like, uh, kind of like the cognitive hack idea is interesting. Like in the getting, like, imagine this is more useful. Like there's probably ways to be creative about your memory palace to, to provide more value than, uh, you know, be as effective as Google search, you know, like it's just, what are those applications? And then if not, this particular component of how the brain works, there's plenty of examples. I, I think we're even going to talk about music on a subsequent show, but like there's lots of ways to sort of unlock hidden potential by thinking differently about our brains. So like, it's not just understanding the brain, but also doing it in an almost a, uh, like a utilitarian way. Like, That's like right. what's in it for me. I love learning about my brain. It's like, you can get smarter. You can be better. You can, you can do it all. And or you can just pursue whatever leisure activity yes. it is. What I like to do in my leisure activity is listen to trending and education. <laughs> so as you're enjoying this outro music here in, uh, in just a moment, start coding this into your long-term memory. And we will see you again on the next episode of Trending in Education. <laughs>